Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insero, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Trust in healthcare was eroding even before the COVID-19 pandemic. In a recently released book, Reengaging in Trust, The Missing Ingredient to Fixing Healthcare, the authors, Dr. Jan Berger, the CEO of Health Intelligence Partners, and Julie Slezak, the president of the healthcare consulting firm, delve into this issue with data from multiple sources over time and framed in the context of stakeholders in a time of societal change. Trust is essential, yet it is frail and needs to be measured and improved alongside other parts of healthcare, according to Berger, who discusses the book on this episode of Manage Carecast. So thank you for joining us today on the podcast, Dr. Berger. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So you and your co-author, Julie Slezak, recently released a book this spring called Reengaging in Trust. Can you talk a little bit about why you both decided to write this book? And also, did you start writing it before the pandemic? Um, Yes, the book actually, the concept of the issues of trust in healthcare. Um, goes as far back for us as 2016. Uh, What we did was we did some research or began some research where we reached out to all the stakeholders across healthcare um, in the late summer of 2016. And we intended to reach 2000 people in a quantitative set of research questions actually both for our own benefit and for the consulting work we do for um, our clients, which are all stakeholders. What happened in between is I got ill. And so there was a five month lapse between the first thousand and the second thousand individuals. Along with that, in that five months, we had a new president. And what we found was quite quite surprisingly that there were significant discrepancies between or differences between the first group and the second group of those uh, interviewed. That prompted us to go and do a 300 person qualitative set of interviews to try and dig in further and understand the data attributes. And I'm gonna give you an example in just a moment. At that point after the interviews, we said, there's something much more here than just the work for our consulting. This was a conversation, a national conversation that had to occur. When COVID came about, we realized, and in the book we talk about Um, events that create trust resets. And one of those events clearly was going to be COVID. So we reached back out and did further quantitative and qualitative research. But really the book did not come about as a book until 2017. It then took three years to complete writing the book. 
and I should correct myself, the name of the book is actually Reengaging and Trust, the mixing, the missing ingredient in fixing healthcare. I think in the beginning I just said called it reengaging and trust. So what did you find? You talked about the discrepancies between the different sets of research. And you also did a, a lot of other secondary work, all, all the work and surveys that other organizations have done over this time frame. Trust in America and especially in healthcare is not in a very good place, is it? No, it isn't, unfortunately. And you just asked a question that is, is very relevant here. In the time between the initial research and uh, it, in the summer of 2016, 2017, what we found was that there was a difference in 24% on people trusting their family, their friends, and their neighbors. And what's so important about that is if you take a moment and think about who do we look to, to either understand or find advice around health. And often it is either those who you had interactions with before that were positive, or it was family, friends, and neighbors. You heard from a family member, they had a good doctor or a good experience, that sort of thing. Trust went down 24% in a five-month period. That's significant and has a significant disruption on all of us and who and how we trust. Can you discuss the idea of the trust reset that you talk about? How does that work? interpersonally, as you mentioned, between um, people not trusting their friends, neighbors, those closest to them, as opposed to institutions, providers, medical centers. How does, can you give some examples about that? Surely. So um, in the book, at the beginning, we talk about conceptual and abstract issues around trust to basically foundation set. For example, how do you define trust? Um, if you can't define it, how do you act upon it, right? So the beginning of the book really sets the stage for the conversations in the back part of the book. Are what can you do about it? How do we move beyond the abstract and, uh, and concept and really get to the action setting? And the action setting for this book was the 15 trust resets that occur. And they occur both at an individual level, a one-on-one -on -one level, um, as well as an organizational level. And even if you're doing the right thing, I can be a really great provider of healthcare. Um, but if I surround myself in the organization with things that are negative resects, that can impact how a, a patient in a doctor-patient relationship can um, frame up trust. Giving you an example, I can have a wonderful bedside manner. I can communicate well with the patient. Um, but the patient walks into the office and it's dirty. The magazines are months, if not years old, it has been shown that that will have a negative trust reset on the relationship between me and my patient. So it's not just individual. 
it's in that case perceived that if they have old magazines, how do I know they don't have old healthcare information or medical information? So that's one example. In two institutions today, as we look at um, uh, as we look at interactions between hospitals and payers, there's often a conflict in incentives where a hospital may want to keep a patient much longer than um, a, to fill the beds because that's how they are incented. That's how they, their payment model works. Where a health plan may look to get the patient out as expeditiously as possible and safely. You have two conflicts. There's not a trust in between the two. So really in that case, one of the trust resets I talk about in the book is aligned incentives. So how do two organizations have aligned incentives? We see that also with providers and health plans. That relationship has been rocky for many, many, many years since actually the 80s and early 90s when HMOs started to become the form of um, healthcare that was most often offered. So whether it's organization to organization where you need aligned incentives, whether it's doctor or provider and patient where communication, but also organizational and experiential things, we talk a lot about experience today in healthcare. We don't often think about the impact that experience has on trust. Speaking about experience, one of the things you noted is that patients who have been renamed consumers expect their healthcare to often work the way other things work. And then it doesn't, you know, the faxes, the missed phone calls, the drop off in communication from one provider to another and missing information. How does that play a role? Plays a very significant role. We do not separate ourselves as patients and as people who live our life outside of the medical field. We are human beings. And so the expectations that we gain from our day-to-day life experiences are no different than those in healthcare. You know, it is only in the last five years or so that things such as net promoter score and satisfaction have come to be central in healthcare. They have been going on to a much longer degree outside of the healthcare world. So yes, our expectations are the same. It's interesting, that is often why we are seeing new primary care groups out there, whether it's One Medical or Eden Health or Oak Street, the experience that people have in their day-to-day lives, just as you asked, Allison, are the same exact um, experiences they want in their healthcare lives. And when they don't get it, trust is broken. I recently left the primary care group I had had for over 15 years because lack of transparency, 
and a very poor healthcare experience drove me away. I don't then trust them to take care of the times I am most vulnerable. And trust and vulnerability are very closely tied as well. So I left them and I went to a third party, one of those new groups that I just spoke about. And my experience was totally different. And I walked out of that first time with that primary care provider and had greater trust in them than I did the physicians I was working with for the last 15 years. I'm just curious, did you tell the practice you left why you left? Because I think a lot of time patients leave and they never say why. I did. And interestingly, their response is, if you're unhappy, we think you have to go somewhere else. Interesting. So they didn't want to hear the feedback. Do you think their response is typical in the healthcare system such as it is as a whole? I think the incentives are different. I think how the organization that you interact with may have an impact on that. So I think it's a mixed factor. But I do know when you look in the book and you look at how the breakdown in age is to trust, some of that aligns to the fact that younger people today have less of a problem going elsewhere if they don't trust that the people who are caring for them care. (laughs) Trust and care, again, and vulnerability come in. But there are things such as access and convenience that do play a role, very much so. It's not just one place does virtual. It may be part of it, but it's about getting care when you're scared, you're confused, you want help, you have questions. You mentioned age, and you also, I think, looked at the impact of gender on that issue. Can you just describe which one puts more stake in that and trust? So it's interesting, and thank you for asking that. Uh, Gender is a bit more confusing, but does have some very real trends. Um, Number one, women care about and align with trust much more with um, the compassion of healthcare, where men, it's all about competency. Get me my answer and move on. And, you know, this is a generalization. But in the end, because women very often are the CEOs of their family's healthcare, having things work well makes their life easier. But they also have to trust healthcare in a much deeper way in order to take care of their families as caretakers. So gender does have a pathway to trust, but it also, there's another intercedency there, and that is in culture and your background. So what we have found is men trust men in healthcare much more than in any other cultural or ethnicity out there where many of the others, most of the others, trust women more in healthcare. 
Now, this is in the patient-physician relate or provider relationship. On the business side, I hate to see it, say it, but ethnicity does play a role in the business of healthcare. And it was clearly shown, and it's not just from my data, but others' data that has shown that the male is still much more often trusted in the corporate and business side of medicine more than women. We still have a ways to go in that as women. That could probably be a whole other book. Yes, I think it could. I think it could. One of the things I think about when I think about trust is that for it to really exist, there shouldn't be too much of a power imbalance. And in healthcare, you're laughing. In healthcare, you mentioned transparency. So whether you're talking about patients and providers, and you know, and there it's just who's who knows more and who, you know, is getting their information off of Google, but also between payers and insurance companies or when PBMs come into play. How can trust really work in these relationships when there's such a power imbalance? You know, the unfortunate thing about healthcare is there has historically been a power imbalance, regardless of who the stakeholders mm-hmm. are, whether it's um, due to knowledge, whether it's due to title, whether it's due to data. And, you know, how often do we hear he who has the data has the power? The good news and the aspirational part about this is I think we're becoming more aware of that and having to find ways where we sit at the round table or sit at the same side of the table instead of across the table is starting to occur. But we need to understand what each of us brings to healthcare and that truthfully healthcare we cannot address the challenges we have in healthcare without acknowledging that there are many different expertise that is necessary at the table and that we all have to play a role. I think you know interoperability as a concept actually leads to trust across the board because there isn't this power of knowledge differential. The thing that worries me a little bit, and I think that if there is no other take, um, if there's no other concept that we have to think about, it's that the innovation and the disruption we're talking about in healthcare today cannot address the trust issue alone. We really have to look at what are the commonalities, what are the incentives, and how are we transparent on all of those? Because just changing financials and just changing um, organizational structure will not address the trust, and you will still have the tug of war that often occurs historically in these relationships. Since you mentioned interoperability, is there a way that technology can make the trust issue worse? Yes, there is. Um, And actually, I talk about in the second part of the book where I talk about each of the stakeholders, I talk about how 
each of the stakeholders and technology being a stakeholder in and of itself can both positively and negatively trust reset. And so um, if technology is not shared and information is not shared, then actually technology can decrease trust. If people are given technology and said, go figure this out, or um, we're gonna have remote monitoring or even virtual care with COVID, um, if you are unable to utilize it for any sets of reasons, it may be for an older person, they're a bit visually impaired and the fonts are 10 and 12 or the buttons are small, or you live in a community that does not have um, good internet access, then you, it, it decreases trust. It doesn't increase it because you have those who have and those who do not. Um, so that is definitely a problem. And it is interesting as we looked at the data when we did our post, during COVID, I wish it were post COVID, um, after the most acute phases of COVID to see how um, COVID impacted trust. Technology and the lack in certain communities of having easy access to technology actually was a trust buster. I think you also wrote that technology should ideally only exist where there's already an existing relationship, correct, between. And I was thinking of that because last week there was news where two uh, mental health providers are merging, telehealth at a meditation app and one of the providers. And I was thinking about all these people now getting therapy, but they've never actually met that person. And I'm just wondering how that will play out in the years to come. So it's interesting you ask, and I, I, I absolutely believe that if at all possible, having a physical initial interaction with somebody allows for tra trust transfer to the virtual. When your entire relationship, don't kid yourself, the touching of hands and being able to see somebody face to face has been shown to impact the brain in such a way that it builds trust. And that will transfer to a virtual relationship or to a third party who you may not have met, but the person who you initially built a trusting relationship with then um, passes that on. How often when you say, I'd love you to meet you have a conversation with a friend and they say, I'd love you to meet so-and-so, you guys would really hit it off. That trust is transferred. The one place where you may be able to not have a face-to-face -face initial relationship is in mental health. And actually it has been shown that um, the talking conversation can, can actually build trust without the face-to-face -face or the in-person. So that's the one place that I would caveat that it is not as important to have an initial in-person face-to-face. I do worry when we talk about these practices today that are virtual only, 
that we're missing a very important aspect of health and healthcare. By the way, we also see that on the business side of healthcare. How many of us have been in meetings over Zoom or other methods of virtual meeting, and there are people on the meeting you've never met in person. I sit on a number of boards. We've had some new board members. They seem very bright. They seem very likable. But is my trust level of them the same as those people I've been in a room with, I've broken bread with, I've had breakfast and conversations with? I would argue, no, it is not. So going to all virtual, whether it's in the practice of medicine or business meetings for healthcare, I don't think maximizes the positive impact of trust in solving the, the problems we have in healthcare moving forward. Is there anything else that I forgot to ask or that you want to mention? It's a pretty, as I said, robust book <laughs> and an email to you. Um, and I, I noticed one subtitle said the COVID epidemic of 2020. And I said, oh, I, I wish I wish it really was just the COVID epidemic of, pandemic of 2020. But I just think we can't minimize the importance of trust. Um, we've got great opportunity. But just like we're looking at the financial, the organizational and the operational opportunities, in healthcare, trust has to be right there alongside of it. I would also say that trust is fragile. Um, a little of the data, if you noticed around COVID, was that historically, healthcare providers, physicians, nurses, pharmacists were, were the most trusted individuals in healthcare. The physician trust level went down over 50% during COVID. Um, and it was not just in my data that showed that. The American Board of Internal Medicine's group on trust found the same thing. On the other hand, pharmaceutical manufacturers, who everyone has loved to bash over the last number of years due to cost issues, their trust metrics went way up because of the vaccine, because of some of the medications and the work that they did during COVID. It's gonna be up to them whether they keep those new levels of trust. So trust is fragile. We have to work on that every day like we do every other part of healthcare. But it's a part of healthcare that's exciting and can really make a difference. One stat that jumped out at me was that nurses were the most trusted sector of the healthcare workforce. Did I read that right? And we've been reading so much about that with the nursing shortages across so many states, especially in the South. Yeah, one of the reasons about that is um, the corporate business of uh, medicine and doctors being increasingly more commonly employed by large organizations that maybe don't have the same trust that an individual physician has. This is gonna be something to watch very, very closely over the next few years because the nurses have not been identified as the corporate player in healthcare the same way doctors 
have more recently. The other piece of that is the significant trust in pharmacists. And again, historically, you went to the same pharmacist who was at your corner farm, you know, uh, drugstore for years. Now that many of the corner drugstores are large corporate entities, it doesn't mean they don't do good work, but pharmacists are transferring in and out all the time. And people see that pharmacist as an extension of large corporate healthcare and not necessarily having their best interest as the patient. So we really have to watch that for many of the physicians and pharmacists and nurses have not been identified in the same way as part of corporate medicine. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This was really interesting. We'll put a link in the show notes. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time. I know it's not a short book, but the interviews are so identifying as the untethered feeling that everybody, whether it's a business person or a patient or a provider feel in healthcare today due to the lack of trust. Well, hopefully your reset ideas will help mend that issue. I hope so. Thank you again for uh, giving me the time today. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. For all of us at AGMC, thanks for listening. For more about this issue, visit agmc.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at agmc.com or follow us on Twitter at agmc underscore journal. And if you like Managed Carecast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us. 